start there in that case. Let's go straight in. Uh, as you can tell by my voice, I was on grass yesterday and I get hay fever. So I'm all bunged up. So I will say as little as possible and keep socially distanced. Uh, as I, although, James Kelly, I suppose if you have hay fever, if you have, if you have a blocked nose, doesn't that mean you can speak Flemish a bit better? Um, I think 100% yeah. that would be, yeah. If that would certainly be a help, yeah. Because it's very... Flemmy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, in both, both in terms of the pun and then also, yeah, the, um, yeah, given the way that they speak with the accent, I think it would help. Mm-hmm. What about Walloon? Um, well, not many people speak Walloon, to be honest. Walloon's kind of like, it's almost, as a dialect, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Cornish, I suppose. It's, sort of, it's still there, but very few people speak it. Very interesting. So what percentage of Belgians speak Flemish? I think, I mean, in terms of the split, there are more people in Flanders than in Belgium. I mean, Belgium as a country has a population of about, about sort of 11, 12 million, I think. Um, and then the population of Flanders is sort of about six and a half. So whatever that is as a percentage, mm-hmm. um, over 50%, I'd probably say about 60% off the top of my head. Although I don't trust the maths completely. <laughs> but oh, oh no, I trust it. It's it, it's the middle of Monday, June the thirteenth. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino is about to be defenestrated from Paris Saint-Germain, Qatar. Might he just waltz into the Belgium job next year? Should he hold on and hope for a, an international job because he's kind of done it all domestically? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think that could certainly be. Um an avenue for him. I mean, I think it's the only problem I think with um, with obviously international management is it's the sort of thing where you don't get as much, you know, he's very much a manager that you look at his record, he always improves players wherever he goes and I think it's the sort of thing where if you put him in an international job and he's not going to have as much time working with the players I'm not quite sure how that would go but I think certainly like if he was given the kind of role Roberto Martinez has as also the technical director I think it might be quite beneficial because he'd be able to kind of, you know, put his coaching mark on the entire Belgian FA from top to bottom and really kind of, you know, I think he'd certainly get, get involved with the uh, the younger teams and the sort of up-and-coming players that Belgium have got. Yes. So, yeah, I think it could work. Whom we will discuss because we're, we're going big on Belgium because Golden, why Belgian football is more than one generation, good title, uh, is a new book out on pitch, that little-known football book publisher... Uh, price sixteen ninety nine. Have you had much feedback since the book's come out, James? Yeah, but everyone pretty much has uh, has enjoyed it. So you know, everyone that I've sort of had feedback from is, is saying how much they're enjoying it, and you know, they're enjoying reading it. So that's always positive. There was a, a rogue three star review on Amazon, which doesn't have any. It's, it's not been left by a person. There's no actual review, so I'm not sure who has left that. But whoever they are, I mean. I'm very sorry they didn't quite yeah. enjoy it as much as everybody else. No, but but, it's them. Yeah, it's, them besides that. it's them, not you. Uh, my book's been out for four weeks as of today, and my mum is keen to get people um, reviewing it, getting it up the algorithm. But I, I like yeah. the fact that people will, because you don't necessarily... It's not Pat Nevin's memoir, which is out in paperback now. It's not this upcoming book about the Qatar World Cup, which was extracted... Uh, I don't know if you read any of it in the Sunday Times yesterday. What a nightmare. I haven't, no. Was it, was it, uh, yeah, I mean, as a World Cup, that is something I'm sure we'll get on to discussing. Well, no, I, well, I want to 
let's talk to talk about the future and then go back to the past um, because I'm sure people would love to hear names thrown around that they know and love, such as Golden Glove winner Thibaut Courtois, playmaker extraordinaire Kevin De Bruyne, and most expensive striker in the world, Rom. Um, but but to, to the future. Uh, because my book's about the Youth Cup, so it's from kids to champions. There aren't so many Belgians that I can think of in um, in English football under 18 level. But there is one, Lavia or Lavia. I don't know how to pronounce his surname even at Man City. Yeah, he, he's somebody that really is, from what I've seen um, people talk about him. I mean, I don't sort of, you know, begin to make it out as if I, <laughs> I watch a lot of Man City youth games. I don't. Um, but you know he, he's come through. I mean, City have kind of um, I think poached, maybe is the wrong word, but it's it's something that people do sometimes say. But City have sort of taken him from Anderlecht, born in Brussels, and kind of came through Anderlecht's academy pretty much for most of his his youth career. Um, which you know is, is never a bad thing. And you look at some of the players they've produced. So as I say, I've not watched too much of him, but from what I've been told by. Uh, people who work with the Belgian youth team and stuff, he's, he's definitely one to keep an eye on. The other ones are Jeremy Doku and Kony De Winter. I'm going to go De Winter rather than De Winter. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're yeah, coming no, through. Yeah, no, I mean, I think obviously De Winter is, um, is at Juve, which, you know, again, is, is something that, you know, their record of developing players is obviously, certainly in Italian terms, is right up there. I mean, he came... I think I'm right in saying he was at Varaham before, uh, before he went to Juve. So he, he's, you know, I mean, Varaham, they've, they've produced certain numbers of players in, in the past and um, he've gone on to play for Belgium. So he could very well be another one. I mean, I think he's currently in there under Sonny Wands. Um, and then Doku is obviously someone who he kind of, I think, caught the eye in the uh, in the Euro quarterfinal um, against Italy last year. He's kind of, I think in terms of this season, he's not quite been as productive I think in terms of numbers, you know, he needs to be a little bit more, little bit more productive next season. But he has he has had problems with injuries um, this season. He was out for sort of several months with a hamstring problem, I think. So yeah, it's definitely something that in the development of any youth player. I mean, I don't need to tell you that on the book you've written. So no, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, do have my injury stunting things. My knowledge has certain gaps, but yes, it is true that. Um, Certain players like Scarlett at Tottenham is two years behind and it really does matter in the age between 15 and 21. You've got to have a clean bill of health. The, the, best, the best bit of footage that I looked at for the book was when Michael Owen went in for a 50-50 with Nick Culkin, won the ball and scored a goal against Man United. And I looked at it and went, that's not the Michael Owen that became a pro. So it was obviously either coached out of him or the rules changed or he just feared injury. That fearlessness is something uh, that a lot of Belgian players seem to have. My other famous stat is that what is um, different between Tottenham's centre-backs and Belgium's full-backs in the 2018 World Cup, if anything? Um, I don't think there's very much, is there? No. I mean, you've got, yeah, <laughs> you've got the tongue in there. Yeah, that was the, the fact was that Belgium's Fullbacks were Tottenham centre backs, which absolutely astounded me because it was uh, Vertongen, Company. Uh, Vermaelen, was it? Vermaelen, quite right. Mignolet or Courtois was behind them. So it did seem that 
Britain in the last 15 years have benefited from this production line of Belgian talent. Do they adequately reward the Belgian teams from purloining all their best players? For instance, Musonda as well, I think, went to England from Belgium. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Musonda was somebody I spoke to, um, someone who was very high up in the, sort of the coaching side of the Belgian FA um, in the youth teams. And he told me that the two most technically gifted players he's ever seen um, at youth level, where he kind of looked at them and thought, wow, they're going to be a star. One was Eden Hazard, which you know, kind of isn't really a surprise, but the other one was Charlie Musonda. Um, and, you know, like you were saying, obviously in terms of injuries, he's had, you know, been a bit unfortunate with injuries. I think Chelsea have actually just released him. That's right, he's a free um, agent. So, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how he, um, you know, sort of continues and where his career goes from now on. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think in terms of in terms of rewarding them, I'm not quite so sure. I mean, you know, you mentioned Alderweireld and uh, Vertonghen. They were, they were two players who kind of developed at Ajax, um, because of the fact that they had a partnership with German uh, Bearshot, um, which is now just Bearshot, um, from Antwerp. And Bearshot were in a lot of financial trouble in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. And basically, our Ajax came in and said, here's some money, um, and we'll, as part of our agreement, we'll take your oh. best youth players, because um, Bearshot are quite a good youth academy. I think, I'm not quite sure of the, the numbers completely, but I think... The players that Ajax took from Bearshot and then sold on to other clubs, I think they made about 45 million off them. Um, and Bearshot certainly didn't get that in return. Um, but no, I mean, you look at in terms of the British connection, I think you could talk about sort of, you look at the old feeder agreements between sort of Man United and Antwerp and um, Beveren and, and Arsenal, which is slightly more murky. Yes. Um, you know, and I think both, certainly from both of those. You could say there wasn't really adequate reward. I mean, Belgian clubs, obviously, they don't just develop Belgian players. They develop a lot of African players as well, and players from former Yugoslavia. You look at Yaya Toure, for example. He started out at Beveren, and you know, several years after he, he left Beveren, Beveren went bust. So I don't um, think it's really a... Yeah, there's not really a, a quite an adequate reward there. Although Beveren have just... Uh, there's been some agreement between... It, it's very complicated. There were basically two Beverens, um, but they've now kind of sort of come to some sort of agreement I think in the past couple of weeks to basically come to sort of more of a, more of a collaboration to kind of I think basically merge back into one Beveren as opposed to being two separate Beverens. Before the current generation we will go back there eventually but we're stuck in 2022 at the moment Belgium will go to the World Cup I can't even remember because I don't care who have they got in the group Belgium is it the opening game is it Qatar? Mm-hmm. Head, I don't actually know, to be honest, because it's the sort of thing where I kind of watched the World Cup draw, but being uh, a, a Wales fan, I kind of wasn't too interested because I just was pessimistic and thought we're not actually going to get there. I have a feeling Croatia, they're in the same group as Croatia. Belgium, Canada, it's Group F. Morocco. Croatia's the other one, I think. And Croatia. You're more <laughs> interested in Wales. You being in Wrexham, well, there are two big stories there. Are you looking forward to the documentary, first of all? And B, are you looking forward to see how Wales, with only two players who have played anywhere in a hot country, are going to manage? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly uh, certainly given the weather at the moment up here, um, I'm looking out the window and it's a grey sky, so I can't quite imagine it's similar conditions to Qatar. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's the sort of thing where... You know there are there are other teams in the same boat as us. Some of Canada's qualifiers that were played in sort of minus God knows how many degrees. You know, so they're obviously not 
it's not all of them are used to playing somewhere warm. You know, a lot of English players obviously just play in the Premier League. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's the sort of thing where I'm always pessimistic, but I think that's because I support Wrexham. But we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it's the sort of thing where, you know, I saw something on Twitter the other day and people were saying, oh, she gets the quarterfinals, and I'm thinking if we can if we can finish second and get out of the group, I'd be happy with that. They're um, not easy games. Iran and America. Iran can deal with the hot climate, and America are kind of the dark horses because you never know which version of them will turn up. I think this is the thing. I mean, obviously the world rankings aren't gospel. As I'm sure we'll get on to talking about Belgium yep. sort of and their placing in them. But I was looking yesterday, and I think all four teams are ranked in the top 21, which I'm not sure if that's ever happened in the World Cup group before. So I think it's the sort of thing where, I think, yeah, I mean, Iran, it's, it's just the climate, but also I think people just look at the team and they think, well, I don't know too many players there. Oh, the, the one from um, Brighton, Jahamba. Yeah, yeah. I was going I can't say his name, but I know what you mean. Yeah. But no, I mean, you've got, you've got Taremi as well at Porto, who's, I think, very underrated as a striker. So I think, yeah, the notion of, oh, we're, you know, I don't know any Iranian players, they're going to beat, uh, we're going to beat them, is a, is a sort of backwards kind of mentality. Well, that's um, what happened with England in 1950. We thought, oh, we'll beat these Americans 1-0. And then even in 2010, yeah. there was yeah. that headline, USA wins 1-1 because of the Clint yeah. Dempsey goal. Um, but yeah, I wish Wales so much luck. I've spoken to Tim Hartley, who is involved in the oh, yeah. Welsh Supporters Federation or Association. I can't remember which it is. But uh, yeah, he's probably still on cloud 16 about... Wales going to the World Cup. Also, the we have to mention it. I was thinking this morning, why doesn't football stick to football? It's an escape. Look, there are certain Welsh FA staff who cannot go to Qatar because they can't bring their partners. It is, it's monstrous. I don't care about the World Cup. But I hope Belgium do well. Belgium were number one in the world. Uh, who has displaced them? Brazil, I It think. is Brazil. Who will win the World Cup? It's fixed. Brazil have to win. <laughs> Neymar is owned by Qatar. It'll be the Neymar World Cup. It's fixed. They were fixed getting it, allegedly, allegedly. What is the Welsh response? If Rob Page is asked, what about the Kafala system? Has he got an answer to hand? I don't think so, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's a bit of a uh, minefield, isn't it? <laughs> And I think it's the sort of thing where you kind of annoyingly you have to you have to give a very politically correct answer. I mean, it's a bit like kind of you know I sort of follow golf as well, and it's a bit like what's going on now with the <laughs> Phil Mickelson. What there. part of your millions of pounds worth of gambling <laughs> debt encouraged you to sign up for a tour where you're funded by complete crap? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, this is the thing. That's right. Well, what, isn't the Ryder Cup in Wales this year? Not sure to me. I think it might. Yeah, no, I think it might be at Celtic Manor. Uh, and golf is something, of course, that Gareth Bale, the free agent, he's going to have a summer of golf this <laughs> summer. Uh, do you think he'll sign for Cardiff? We're talking on the thirteenth of June, but surely Mehmet Dalman and and uh, the, what's his face, Vincent Tan, forgot his name. I'll leave that in. Surely they don't have the money to afford him. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm pleased you included Vincent Tan because he um, he owns a team in Belgium. He owns Courtrai. As a segue, I think the thing with with Bale is he kind of he obviously wants to use wherever he goes to keep fit to play in the World Cup for Wales. That's the sort of the priority. I mean, I've seen a few things linking him to Wrexham, which I think is a bit of a of a joke. I, I could see him more ending up. I mean, there was that story the day about him going to Atafé. I could almost see him more going somewhere like that than Cardiff because I think it's he just wants to go somewhere where he can just you know kind of be fairly low key. I think and not really have to, obviously wherever he goes it's going to be a sort of story of all Gareth Bale's here but 
if he goes to Cardiff, I think there'd almost be a bit too much fanfare. And I think the thing as well is, with all respect to Cardiff, given how bad they were last season, I can't. You know, it's not like he's going to come in and you know do much in terms of in terms of helping them. I don't think because they are just you know the team's a bit of a mess from what I saw of them. Certainly watching watching a few Cardiff games last year. So I don't know. I think there's certainly the romantic element to it, but I think he'll go. I think he'll go somewhere no one's really expecting. To be honest, I think he'll, he'll go to a sort of a European team, but it's just a bit sort of obscure in left field. Club Bruges. <laughs> well, may, maybe Champions League football. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the sort of thing. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say he fits their signing policy, and they have got sort of, uh, sort of Tajon Buchanan on the, on the wing, but maybe who knows. That was my my segue, and and by the way, this summer. Cost of living goes up. Two litres of milk is now £1.05. Oh, where's, where's Bale going? We've already had kind of the Haaland game. He's officially gone to Man City. today. I don't know what shirt number he's going to wear. Is it 10? I think I saw... There was a photo he put on Twitter of his... He had a shirt on that said Dad 15. Oh, so Alfie's Alf jersey would have been 15, yeah. Yeah, so maybe he's... I don't know. I don't know what he's going to wear, but I think regardless of what number he wears, he'll score a lot of goals. Yeah, just nonsense. <laughs> Who's the biggest player in the Belgian Premier Division? Um, in terms of Belgians, I'd probably say Hans van Aken. He's for, for Bruges, the sort of midfielder. I think he's the one who kind of he was he was a bit of a late bloomer. He kind of he was at Lommel and then he went to Lochran and then he only kind of ended up at Bruges after that. I think I saw a few years ago. I think West Ham were trying to buy him. But for whatever reason, I think he kind of said, well, I'd rather stay in Bruges and play in the Champions League than at the time go and play sort of, you know, middle of the road Premier League football for West Ham. So I don't know if he regrets that decision now, but he's the one player from the Belgian League that kind of gets in the, in the squad on a regular basis alongside sort of Simon Mignolet. But you can't, yes. you can't really say Simon Mignolet is, the, is the, the best player in the league. Poor Mignolet. Maybe he suffered from the, the modern day like Joe Hart, because he can't use his feet as well as a Brazilian, he's better off in a division where mistakes are not magnified. It, it, like, as in 1992, 30 years ago, the nature of goalkeeping just changes overnight. So one type of keeper is different, although amusingly, David De Gea, Mr. Hands for Feet, played every minute of football for Man United last year, and he's, he's going. Meanwhile, Thibaut Courtois who I don't think has been renowned for being very footy, is a Champions League winning goalkeeper and, and will start number one for Belgium. This, it was very odd though, was it Courtois when he was, was he bought by Chelsea and then loaned to Madrid for three years? Yeah. And he left his family in Madrid? I think, I'm not sure, I think he did. But he, does he get, the, I know you've probably answered this question many times in the last two weeks because that was the story from the Champions League final, but does he get the credit he deserves? Or will he need to win a World Cup to become a kind of Leviashin, uh Peter Schmeichel figure? I don't know. I, I think when he was at Atletico, I think obviously people kind of thought, wow, this guy is, you know, because of how young he was, he was this guy's the real deal. But then it's kind of, you've obviously had Atletico have gone out and got Oblak, who has performed to as good a standard Obviously, Courtois was sold by Chelsea to Real Madrid, which it, I don't think it kind of was the same sort of fanfare as normally when a player goes from England to Real Madrid. It's kind of, oh, well, that's an upgrade. But I felt with Courtois, it was almost kind of like the Chelsea fans weren't really that bothered when he left. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not a Chelsea fan, so I can't really answer that question. But I got the impression that no one was, it didn't seem as if anybody really cared that he'd gone. 
Um, and I think just generally, a lot of people don't watch La Liga as I certainly don't watch La Liga as much as I used to because of the, the sort of TV sort of situation. Mm. But I think yes, yeah, so certainly from watching him in Europe, you know, he's still a very very capable goalkeeper, more than very capable. Um, and I think yeah, I think the Champions League final almost. I'm surprised that it surprised people because you know he's he has a lot of pedigree and. I think, you know, obviously if he wins a World Cup, that elevates him even more. But I think it's the sort of thing where when he retires and when he's gone, you kind of look back and think, you know what, he was actually quite a good goalkeeper. We will we'll mention FAF, P-F-A-F-F, uh, very shortly. The book is Golden, Why Belgian Football is More Than One Generation. Did you read Johnny Lou's piece at the weekend after Belgium had been flattened by Holland? I didn't actually, no. Ah. I, I'll have to read that. The version is, it feels like the end of something. They are a two-tier squad with ageing stars. James Kelly, you've written the book on Belgian football. You're right to reply. I wouldn't say, I think saying it's the end is premature. If you look historically at Belgian football, they've always, they've always achieved, I mean, we'll go into this, I'm sure, but they've always achieved when no one expects them to achieve. And they've always not achieved when everyone expects them to achieve. So the situation they're in now, when they still have, you know, the likes of De Bruyne, Lukaku, uh, Courtois, you know, players that we've mentioned, yeah, they're getting on a bit, but they're still pretty capable, despite the fact, obviously, that Lukaku hasn't had a very good season with Chelsea. Like, they're still more than capable. I mean, De Bruyne, I would say, is one of the top five players in the world Yeah, still, if not the top one. You know. He's just amazing yeah, exactly. to watch. Just a shame that he's paid by Abu Dhabi, but yeah, go on. Yeah, <laughs> this is the point, but it's the sort of thing where... Just to say all, all of a sudden, oh, you know, they've lost in the Nations League to Holland, which, you know, as a sort of traditionalist, I think the Nations League has its place, but I can't exactly say I'm sort of disappointed if I miss a game in the Nations League. So I think, you know, it, it's a bit sort of sensationalist to suddenly say, oh, well, it's, it's over and it's the end, when, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it is, the, it is the end. I mean, there's still, like I conclude in the book, there's still... You know, time for this generation to do something. And as I say, given the the way Belgian football historically has achieved when sort of everyone's written them off, they might well do something in Qatar. They were always called before the you know like the dark horses. I'm sure that phrase came up in the book. They were always the dark horses. In nineteen eighty six especially I spoke to Stephen Scragg, who had very nice things to say about you. I didn't realise Belgium did so well at the 86 World Cup. And he said, yeah, they were useless, but they just kind of got through on penalties and extra time. And they had this goalkeeper, Faf, they had Schifo, they had a couple of good players. Do the current generation look up to the 86ers? And do the 86ers appear in the media saying nice things or critical things about the class of current today? I think generally speaking, they... um... There is a kind of tendency for... I mean, Belgian people generally are very modest, um, which I think is partly why a lot of the players in the book, unless you're Belgian, you haven't heard of because of the fact that they're players of the past and whatnot, whereas Belgian people tend to sort of say, oh, they weren't really that good or we were a bit lucky here. And I think it's very much... You know, I, I spoke to Jean-Marie Puff, actually, and he said, you know, the team at the moment is far more technically gifted than our team, um, but we just had a kind of spirit that... You know, got us through but I think it's the sort of thing where that's obviously certainly part of the case but in terms of 86 you know they did have a terrible they had a terrible group stage I mean they lost to, to Mexico which given they were the hosts isn't you know too bad when you've got sort of 100,000 people at the Azteca cheering against you um, but then they they very narrowly beat Iraq and then they draw two all with Paraguay um, which you know isn't 
something you'd really look at and think, well, that's stellar sort of pedigree to get you through a World Cup. But then they managed to beat they beat the USSR four three in a in a fantastic game. But this is this is what I mean about kind of they achieve when people don't expect them to achieve because going into that game, the players themselves had packed their suitcases ready to to go home. And then they kind of, after they won the game against the USSR, they kind of had to go back to the hotel and unpack, even though they'd been in Mexico for sort of several weeks. And then they beat, yeah, they beat Spain on penalties, which admittedly they did hang on a little bit towards the end, but they managed to get through there. And then you, know, you, you play Argentina with Maradona and, and it's only really going to end one way. But I think in, in terms of, yeah, comparing them to the current generation, I think it's a sort of thing of, I wouldn't say the current generation the look to them, um, I think there's certainly a crossover. The, the team of today are kind of, I think, more lauded as being more individualistic and more talented. But I think, obviously, you know, that isn't necessarily what's going to get you success in football. Vanson Company was installed as manager of Anderlecht, despite having zero managerial jobs beforehand. He's just left Anderlecht. Uh, we think he's going to Burnley. Uh, I don't know if you've heard any more of that. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah, which is amazing because Burnley traditionally, and not all of them, but yeah, a black guy in charge at that club, that's going to be fun. Um, he was part of an Anderlecht side who, um, well, pretty much since just after he left, haven't done so well, but they're the big team in Belgium. They are the, the big men. Uh, they won the UEFA Cup in 83 and were a finalist in 84, but only had five Belgians in that 83 winning side. How come they were allowed more than three foreigners? I think it, it was the thing where I think at that time you had, um, I'm not sure if, the three, if it was the three plus two rule or quite what the, the ruling was. You could have three players on the pitch at once that were were not Belgian, I think. I think in 80, like for example, in 84, it was kind of, they had a group of um, of Danes, so they had sort of Morten Olsen, who was the, was the captain and kind of the main guy um, as a sort of centre half sweeper type role. And then you had Kenneth Briller and um, Frank Arneson, and off the top of that, I can't remember who the other one was. But you kind of had them, and they sort of rotated around in terms of who played and who didn't. But I think generally speaking, you three foreigners and then two kind of assimilated, assimilated. players. Yeah, that, you're right. Absolutely. I did some research for a quiz that I was doing and I discovered that horrible uh, fix which denied Forrest a place in that 84 final, which was known about, was uncovered years later. And because of the statute of limitations, nothing could be done. Does that sully Underlex's achievements in the way that Marseille's were sullied? Because, or doesn't it matter because Anderlecht didn't win in 84, so it's academic? Yeah, I think certainly in the eyes of, of any Forest fan, I don't think it is, it's solicited at all. I think it's still you know, a very prevalent issue. Yes, they um, were two up um, in the first leg and lost 3-0 in the second. Uh, you, know, you can't get away from the fact that there has, you know, there's, there's corruption anywhere in the world and you know, football's no different. But there has been several notable incidents of corruption in Belgium. So, I mean, you, you say about Marseille, I mean, the manager there was Belgian. You had Raymond Gertels there, who his other kind of big career achievement, certainly club-wise, was reaching the uh, final of the Cup Winners' Cup in 83 when they lost to Barcelona. But then the season before, they'd won the league uh, and it came out later that they'd fixed the game and he'd ordered the the fixing of that game. He hadn't... Marseille fixing was something different. That was was Tappy, kind of the president. That was his, his doing... But no, I, th- I think in terms of Anderlecht, it's kind of 
I don't know. But people, everyone in Belgium who doesn't support Underlake doesn't like Underlake. It's kind of like the sort of big club syndrome. Um, you know, and you have all these these accusations of, of foul play and stuff like that, which you know I'm not really in a position to comment. Um, but I think, in terms of, I say about that, that 82 fix, um, like you know, standard fans kind of you know, they don't obviously remember it too fondly because it robbed them of a lot of good players and it took them a quarter of a century after that to win the league again. But like the, the ruling judge in that was rumoured to be an Anderlecht season ticket holder and he's kind of, you know, he later was seen at uh, Anderlecht's ground and I spoke to a historian who basically said that the reason that Gertels felt the need to fix the final game of the season for Standard to win the league was he knew that Anderlecht wouldn't take any risks, which was, that was all he said, but obviously implies that maybe there was some something going on at Anderlecht as well. So, as I say, I, I can't really say too much for the risk of some ancient Belgian man trying to sue me. But, yes, um, do not libel. Yeah. First, do no yeah. libel. But, yeah, I think it's the sort of thing where, in terms of, yeah, that, that 84 team, I think, yeah, I mean, you can't exactly ever look at corruption in football and say, oh, fair play, that was, that was good. Mm. The book is Golden, Why Belgian Football is More Than One Generation, out in a fallow summer, but we'll get the World Cup later this year. In a second, James Kelly, I will ask you for your Belgian all-time 11. But I wanted to ask, firstly, given you're a first-time author, what books, what authors were on your own football shelf? Because you do get your football library card where you can, well, twofold, you can take any book out that you want or fanzine or programme or a fanzine from Wrexham FC, and there must be a few now, with Rob McElhenney and him off of Deadpool's face. But yeah, uh, which, because your book will be shelved very near all the Dutch books by David Winner and all the Cruyff books. Mm. So who inspired you? Well, I mean, it's good to be mentioned, David Winner, because Brilliant Orange is sort of one of them. You know, I think it kind of has to be there. I mean, for, for me, I think it's, if you're looking at the history of a, of a football, in, well, football in a nation, I think that's certainly uh, kind of the... Uh, the pinnacle to hold it to. Um, also, also Calcio by John Thorpe. That's a book I enjoy reading. Um, and then it's not quite the same style um, in terms of they were more travel based. But um, the miracle of Castle de Sandro. Ding, ding, and then ding. Also, yes, that yeah. is a much borrowed copy from the football much library, which copy, is a mind yeah. palace. But I'm. It's kind of like the sort of Excalibur. It its reputation goes before it. It is, from what I've heard, the best football book. I will try and read it this summer uh, because I'm avoiding oh, the top level of football. I've not read it yet. I'll read your book first and then go to John <laughs> McGuinness, um, who is no longer with us. Did you know Joe, Joe McGuinness is, is dead? Yeah, no, I did, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yes, a wonderful book. Miracle of Castel de Sangro. A lot of fixing involved there, or if not fixing, some nefarious activity. Mm. Um <clears throat> So, yes, thank you very much for appearing in the Football Library. Do you have a second book coming? Um, it's the sort of thing where when I finished it, I said, no, I will never write so much as an email again. Yeah, the, the more I've mellowed, I thought, yeah, I, I will. At some point, I'll get around to it. I need, need yeah. more of an idea. First. Well, given that you're in Wrexham and there is a documentary about them... Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lean on you. Stephen Scragg is the best at um, advising people to write more books. Um, and Stephen, I already have that. Bearing in mind that Faf is, I think, on the cover of your book and Courtois isn't. Um, yeah. Would you take him as your goalkeeper? Yeah, I think that was... If all the positions, actually, that's the one that required the most thought. I was, I was thinking that when I was having my, my coffee earlier. Yes. I was thinking, who would I, who would I pick? But yeah, no, I think purely because he's on the front, I'd have to go... I'd have to go, and 
answer because I, I spoke to him and he was a nice bloke. I'm slightly biased and would have to go with Faf, but of course, Warren's very, very close. No, I'm sure. I'm sure even Faf would say he would pick himself over Courtois and then just fill in the rest of the ten. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd, I'd go Eric Heretz at right back, um, and then company of the Tongan centre backs, and then. The thing is, it's not kind of the most... It's not the best 11 players. It's the most workable team. So then I'd go Jean Tisson at left-back, who won three titles with Standard, and, you know, he played in three cup winners' cup finals for Anderlecht. So he's a pretty, pretty influential player. Um, and then De Bruyne and Schifo in midfield, with Van Mer, Wilfred Van Mer anchoring it. And then Jan Kullerman's on the right, Edin Hazard on the left, and then Paul Van Himst as the, the striker. I, in terms of workability, I'd go with him over... Lukaku, that was another debate I had, purely because Van Hemst was kind of more like a false nine, um, and I feel like he'd work better in this team than Lukaku. I wonder if, and I, I've been thinking this, again, I'm not watching the World Cup, but this is going to be a World Cup of the system, not the individual, and Lukaku is the ultimate player who has been caught up in the modern age. Wonderful striker. Amazing at West Brom. Scored that hat-trick in Alec Ferguson's final game. Uh, but what I mean. Yeah, the modern age. Yeah, no, I, I think the thing, with, the thing with Lukaku is ultimately, yeah, like you said, you know, he's he's a wonderful striker. But I think I was looking at this team and I was thinking, it's not if it was a list of the best eleven Belgian players, he's definitely in there. But in terms of how this team works, I thought Paul van Hempst is a more is a better fit for kind of like the sort of speed and the creativity of, of people like Schifo, De Bruyne, and Hazard. And I look forward to um, filling in the gaps in my knowledge because. There has been more than one generation of Belgian football uh, going back uh, into the 1970s and 80s. The book by James Kelly is called Golden, priced 16.99. It is out on pitch, of course it is. Uh, and good luck to Belgium. I can't say this in Flemish or Walloon, but I'll say it in English because they can understand that language anyway. Best of luck to the Belgians uh, in Qatar this winter. Just like the library! Just like the library! 